This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will often allow a guest to select. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 184th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, in celebration of hashtag Adventure Comics Month, we are looking at comics' seventh to tenth greatest barbarian character ever, Thongor, Warrior of Lost Lemuria. In Creatures on the Loose, 26, from Marvel Comics, cover dated 1973. But first, a little feedback. And when I say a little feedback, I mean actually very little feedback. Because this episode has a guest, the discussion portion is a lot longer than usual. So I'm not going to go over a lot of comments here, but I do want to address one bit of feedback and one bit of uh, relatively geeky news slash situation that occurred recently. So back in the middle towards the end of May, I heard from Sean Kelly, who's been working on catching up on our older shows on the network, but who, all of a sudden, could not download any of our older episodes. Only the single most recent episode was available to be downloaded. I checked this myself, confirmed that trying to download any other episode got a download failed message accompanied by a bright red exclamation point. I'm not sure why I thought to check our two other feeds, Quarterbin Classics and Darkness to Light, but I found the exact same thing. Now, let me issue a content warning here, because for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about stuff that is potentially really boring, like detailed podcasting stuff. Feel free to skip ahead to the guest. Matter of fact, I strongly encourage it. Unless you really, really want to get into the minutiae of podcasting stuff and feeds and all that. So first off, you know what podcast you're listening to, right? So when I say that we use the absolute cheapest methods, mostly free to be honest, of getting all of this done, you won't be surprised. We don't pay any fees to any podcasting service. No Blueberry, no Lipson, no anybody else. Equipment is by far the most expensive part of this hobby for us. But even that hasn't cost us much money. I don't know for sure, but it's possible that this is the first time that not paying a third party to host and manage our files Maybe that came back to haunt us. I'm not really sure what happened, but I guess that is a possibility. 
Now, if you are still listening to this episode, despite my strong encouragement for you not to, and if you're a podcaster and have some thoughts about what I'm about to get into, please reach out and contact me. That would be greatly appreciated. So the way that we do this, our files are uploaded to the Internet Archive, archive archive.org, which is free, by the way. Archive provides links to an episode page, the ability to embed a player, and also a direct link to the MP3 file. Our website for the podcast, our blog, is provided by blogger, relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. That is also free. We could have paid more and gotten a podcast without the blog spot in the middle and some more features, but this one was free. On that blog, we can embed the player from Archive and also link to the MP3 file. This link to the MP3 file is what allows you to download the episode directly. And this is also the spot where the feed pulls the audio file from. Our feed, all of our feeds, are managed by the Google product FeedBurner. You may find this hard to believe, but this service is free. And as long as I've been podcasting, I have heard that FeedBurner is on its last legs and is going to fold any time now. Now, to be fair to folks who said that, they have definitely dialed back some of their services. But they promise that the podcast feed functionality will continue to operate indefinitely. And it's this feed from the FeedBurner product that is submitted to the Apple Store and other podcast services. So what appears on your phone as an episode comes from that feed. That feed is burned from the blog. The blog links to a range of pages on archive.org. That's our process. And it's simple, right? You know, as I go through that list, I'm starting to understand why people pay podcast services to simplify the process. Anyway, what happened in uh, mid to late May of 2022 is this. Like I said, archive.org creates a web page that houses the MP3, which is where, again, through a few steps, episodes are pulled from to appear on your device magically. Thank you, Adam Curry. This is the step in the process that was creating the invalid file message. Because the archive website addresses to the MP3 files, they had all changed. The site addresses include a string of eight letters and numbers. And those were what had changed. My guess is that they did that for some reasons of expanding their space, their storage capacity, something like that. And somehow the redirect directive got misdirected so what i ended up doing one sunday afternoon and evening this took a long time was i went through every blog post and updated that combination of eight letters and numbers on each episode in the feed and that's all i had to do all the other parts of that longer 
web address remained the same. It's only that intro combination of letters and numbers that had changed. Now, what this may have done to listeners, and if this happened to you, I apologize, is that many of those episodes may have downloaded to your phone again. Sorry about that. My bad. So through a number of hours of manual work, that feed is fixed, relatively geeky at least. By the time this episode comes out, you could probably take everything I've just said about that feed and apply it to Darkness to Light and Quarterbin Classics as well, because I have to do the exact same thing to those feeds as well, because they work the exact same way. Again, if you have any thoughts about what might have happened here, if this has happened to your podcast or to a podcast that you know about, especially someone who uses the archive-slash-blogger combination of services for creating their podcasts, please uh, let me know. Please tell me I did not imagine all of this. Okay, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Thank you for humoring me in listening to all of that or humoring me by skipping ahead to this point instead of listening to all of that. Either way, you, yeah, you are an awesome listener. So no episode-specific feedback this time. We will get to that uh, in next episode. But I will mention that social media love for last episode, the free comic book day episode, came from the wonderful Sutherlands from Trekker Talk and other terrific podcasts. Clinton from Days of High Adventure. D.S. Putnam, Sir Dr. Ange, Billy D. from Magazines and Monsters, Old School Ross, Sir Manuel from Buy Indie Comics Day, Derek, Derek W.C. from The History of Comics on Film, Chris Lydon 7, David Ace Gutierrez, author Jennifer DeRoss, Karen from Between the Pages, James from Karen, Sir Luke Giaconetti, Vic and Phoenix, Ranger Gord, Trevor Owen Williams, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, voice actor Eugene R. Hendricks, Sean Urbanski, Stu World Order, Sir Iowa's Joe, Chris Willette, and Jeremiah, the notorious JJG. Thank you for all that support, my friends. When we come back from this promo break, we will come back and get our barbarian on. Hey everyone, this is Brian, the host of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And since 2017, Inner Demons has been the best place on the web for news, reviews, and regular discussion with our listeners about Marvel's Spirit of Vengeance, Ghost Rider. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast catchers, as well as on Twitter, at InnerDemonsGR. Remember, listening to your Inner Demons is not always a bad thing. Right on. And we're back. And by we, I don't just mean myself and my closet full of designer loincloths. Mm. Because no, 
We are joined by a man who knows firsthand the glory of sword battles in the land that time forgot. At least that's what he told me when he said he wanted to cover this issue. I guess we'll get to the bottom of that shortly. With the man, the magazine, the monster himself, it's Billy D. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Good. Good to talk to you again. Let me unsheath my sword here real quick. Hey, so. hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is oh, a, whoa. <laughs> at least let me turn off the video. Okay. That's this all. Is a, this, is a, okay. this is a family podcast. Hold whoa. on. <laughs> Look out. Oh, <laughs> now, earlier in the year, you know, I'd selected the issues that we were going to cover this sort of this year on the quarter bin here for the, the genre-based uh, 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 episodes. And I reached out to some of my buddies and gave them the options, you know, picking which one of, you know, selection they wanted to cover. Mm -hmm. And you replied pretty fast, nabbing this comic, Creatures on the Loose 26, before anyone else could. So what is it about this issue or this title? Why did you pick this one? Well, I love barbarian characters like this. You know, of course, Conan being the most famous, but actually my favorite is probably Call the Conqueror. So this guy being a pastiche of those uh, two right. gentlemen, I'll use the term <laughs> loosely there. Uh, <laughs> that's something that always struck me. It's this little tiny, what is it, maybe six, seven issues, eight issues of a run here on Creatures on the Loose, which was a weird title. You know, it had Man Wolf and Fongor and all sorts of shenanigans. But I'm uh, one issue, now don't get jealous, but I'm only one issue, issue 25 away from having a oh, complete Fongor saga. Nice, because like you said, <laughs> This title started life as Tower of Shadows, mm -hmm. a horror suspense anthology. Then at issue 10, it became Creatures on the Loose and introduced some sword and sorcery elements, including King Cull mm -hmm. and some sci-fi, while also having a bunch of those horror and suspense stories. Yeah. The, the character Gulliver Jones, Warrior of Mars, and obvious mm -hmm. John Carter knockoff, appears for five issues before mm -hmm. Thongor takes over. Thungor is, leads the title from 22 to 29. And then, like you said, Man Wolf takes over. Almost said Man Thing. Man Wolf <laughs> takes over from 30 through 37. So it's this, it's this Thungor run that you mm -hmm. have collected. Yeah, I need 25 yet, but it's on its way. Don't worry. Oh, uh, by the time uh, the people hear this, you know, the minions of uh, the fans of <laughs> Relatively Geeky hear this, it will be in my possession and I will have the full Thongor run. So hold nice. back your jealousy. Nice. Any interest in the other the man wolf ones or the ones from before this? Or have you narrowed down onto our man, our man of the oh. hour, Thongor? Oh, no, I have uh, probably two of the Man Wolves and then a couple of the Gullivar Jones. And then I have, I think, all of the Tower of Shadows. So I just got to grab some of the in-betweeners and I might have them all at some point. Yeah, before nice. before I'm I kick the bucket. It's it's a dream. Now, you don't have to get into details, you know, specifics, <laughs> but I have to ask because, you know, what show you're on mm -hmm. about, you know, how much on average are you paying for these issues? Ball, ballpark. I got this one for a quarter. Wow. Um, I got mine for a five finger discount. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I don't do that. If memory serves, I think I paid at least a dollar for this. And I know that's blasphemy here, but I think I paid at least a dollar for this. Yeah. 
I'm a sucker for swords and dragons. So absolutely, you know. absolutely. <laughs> and as you, as you know, as we said in the pre-show, uh, John Romita women also. But mm-hmm. I know you have a soft spot for that too. Uh, now mm-hmm. I don't know this title well enough. Are there any that are considered like rare or collectible or super expensive? Or are they all in the couple of buck range? Yeah, no, they're they're all easily had. But I can tell you what, we can start a rumor right now that there's a Thongor film in the works, and you and I sitting are retiring. Pretty, we are sitting pretty now. Retirement, <laughs> here I come. Got a feeling there might be some lawsuits <laughs> over a Thongor movie. I think there are a couple large estates we may mention in passing that might uh, might uh, might have a few things to say about that. Uh, Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's not a controversial statement to make. Thongor, a Conan and Cole ripoff. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, uh, Cole, was it? Yeah. So, but he's my are, favorite. Are there other barbarians that you pay attention to? The Conan, Claw, Red Sonia, Warlord. You know, I Thundar have... grew. Oh, yeah, Thundar was great. Excellent television show i watched that when i was a kid loved it uh i i wanted a sword that was you know just on my you know wrist there that i could just rip off and start fighting <laughs> but yeah i do love that genre quite a bit yeah. and i think conan is probably the most i have yeah. with trades and singles but uh yeah cull i don't know there was something about cull that you got a little bit of that conan and then you also got him being a king as well and he was still kind of you know, I liked Brule, his uh, uh, sidekick there too. So I, I just always was partial to him. But oh yeah, I love all those other barbarians. Red Sonia is pretty awesome too. And I'm really uh, slacking with the DC side though. Yeah, I think I have a couple of you know the the, the Mike uh, Grell guy, the Warlord, uh, Warlord, Warlord there. Uh, but I don't think I have any others of DC at all. I mean, I could check them out on the app, but yeah. I don't think I own any. I'm not sure how how much from that era is on the app. Actually, mm. I know. I think, I think we've talked before. There's very little war books. Oh yeah, there, and they're they're slowly adding the horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're building that up, but I don't know if the Claw the Unconquered. I don't think there are many warlords out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least last time I, I was looking for them, or, or, or some of those other ones. This is going to be on the past, the most recent quarter bin, which hasn't aired yet. As we oh boy, this time time travel here. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> but I I I talk about how weird licensing is, mm. and how now Dynamite has the at least the has the Red Sonia license. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. And because of that, the license aren't just for future content; they're also often for past content. So Dynamite is putting out collections of Marvel's (laughs) Red Sonia. And, you know, one of my favorite examples is DC did a showcase for Doc Savage where they reprinted the Marvel magazine (laughs) version of Doc Savage from the 70s. It's crazy. (laughs) And so and I think when you get when you get Red Sonia, usually get the other other elements of that estate. You know, I'm not sure what other reprint rights they have, but that is that is so weird that you can put out old issues that you never published but you can reprint them that stuff to me is very weird and i there's a lot of legalese which i don't even want to try to dive into to understand all that but it is bizarre yeah for sure and then i don't know i mean the lynn carter estate here i'm not sure who uh 
who runs that show. But there's yep. a lot of these things you, you don't see reprinted, like Micronauts you don't see reprinted. Yep. Yep. The original ROM stuff, I don't know that that's ever been reprinted. And it's not as simple as Disney has all the money. They can pay whatever they need for the ROM rights. The problem yeah. is they don't really know who has the ROM rights. Mm -hmm. I know in that case in particular, it was split at one point among three different people, some of the yeah. rights. And you know, I'm sure some of it was probably used as collateral and a loan, and then you get a bankruptcy, and then and you yeah, know, it's never as easy as pay a ton of money to who owns the rights. The usually complicated part is who owns the rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was honestly I was shocked a few years ago when they started to reprint uh Master of Kung Fu. I right. didn't think that would right. ever happen, right. but they, you know, like, I think that estate is pretty solid with who owns right. the rights. So, yeah. you know, Saks Romer estate. So they just right. said, here's some money. And I, yep. I, it blew my mind, but you know, then when you saw they were going to have a movie, it's like, aha. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's the case this, this is the case with the Tolkien estate mm. that it's, it sometimes takes a couple of generations. You know, J.R.R. Mm -hmm. Tolkien's son, Christopher basically said, as long as I'm alive, Silmarillion writes and the other rights are just not ever going to be sold. And yeah. pretty much as soon as he passes away, Amazon <laughs> drops a ton of money on the remaining heirs, and they get some amazing rights to the published works and some appendices and whatever bizarre yeah. amalgam of rights that they, that they have for their upcoming series. So, yeah. some, so sometimes you have family holdouts on some, mm -hmm. of, those, some of those things. Uh, as well uh you know for, for for me in terms of barbarians though you mentioned him warlord mm -hmm. that's basically my my favorite of these characters one of my favorite all-time characters mm. and you know that's that that's the one i would have been on 10 11 12 you know so the perfect age to discover swords and sandals and sorcery stories i mean come on yeah they're custom made for it. great stuff I, I have read a decent amount of conan of course and uh a shout out if you find them Claw the Unconquered DC character. That's one to keep an eye out for, Billy. And of course, the brilliant and hilarious Gru. Yep, I've seen some of those guys. Yeah, Claw, to me, I've seen, and it's one of those things where I could just kick myself because a few years ago, <laughs> you could get them on the cheap, and now the back issue market has gone berserk. And I just, I, I can't, like, no matter what shop I go to, because shops around here, there's just like, yeah. if you find a 50 cent or a dollar bin, if you find them, it's just 90s to modern sure. stuff. It sure. is not anything in my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's not anything in my wheelhouse. So I just kind of weep when I <laughs> look around these days. I mean, basically anything from the 70s for a buck or less, I definitely take a close look at. You have yeah. to give that consideration. It's probably going to be a good deal. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Anything mid-80s backwards for me, if I can find that even for $2 in decent shape, right. you know, complete, uh, I'll, I'll grab it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in, in terms of other content, the original pulp novels with the classic creators, for me, it's more Edgar Rice Burroughs than Robert E. Howard. Mm -hmm. um, read yeah. six or eight Tarzans and the first four John Carters or so, something like that. Those aren't exactly the same, you know, Conan or Cole, but they certainly share elements with barbarians, especially John Carter. Absolutely, yeah. And, Marvel did a pretty good job with that. I, I've read a yeah. few issues that I think I have about 15. And they're, they're pretty good. They're enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've just pulled a few here and there again as they, as they show up for cheap. So I've never sat down and read a 
consistent run or even probably an entire story like this one they'll serialize a story over three or Mm -hmm. four or five issues but yeah fun so what we have here is creatures on the loose 26 at a cover price of 20 cents meaning that i got this comic at an outrageous 25 percent markup from the original price stinking inflation billy stinking inflation Mm. (laughs) hate it (laughs) crazy the cover by the legendary john ramita shows actually shows a scene pretty much from the issue which doesn't always happen we've got thangor in an Mm -hmm. arena jumping off a skull shaped you know entrance gate or something sword lifted high preparing to drive it into a huge (laughs) green reptilian serpent-like monster and of course there's a beautiful girl tied to a stake in the arena as well and the skull entrance there <laughs> that's kind of hilarious to me i don't that that just is the part of the cover that blows my mind but oh yeah i'm all up for uh, a barbarian uh, jumping out of lizard trying to kill it and like you said this actually arena. does happen right yeah this yeah. does happen oh yeah because you have a bunch of uh onlookers uh like almost like the roman coliseum here mm-hmm. yelling mm-hmm. and shouting there's actually a guy that looks like he's ready to throw a spear at thongor there too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> and as you said, we've got a be- the beautiful John Romita mm-hmm. redhead there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, a romance artist, that's always something you got to have on a cover. Mm-hmm. And it's the 70s, and it's a barbarian comic, so there has to be a damsel in distress. There must be. <laughs> so we've got Now Strikes Thangor, or Else the Woman Dies, Sword versus Sorcery in the Land That Time Forgot, and mm-hmm. Doom of the Serpent God. So overall, mm-hmm. we're thinking... This is a great cover, right? Oh, yeah. This is awesome. Love it. Love it. (laughs) You're going to have a good time with a book like this. (laughs) Man. The story, which I thought would be titled Doom of the Serpent God, seeing as that's what's on the cover, is actually called Tower of the Serpent Women. Mm -hmm. Not not sure why that's better or worse, but this was written by comics legend, legitimate legend Gardner Fox, Mm -hmm. with art by the underrated Val Merrick and Inker wayne howard with Mm -hmm. according to the grand comics database also a little bit of inking help from john ramita here and there oh yeah this is adapted from the novel thangor and the wizard of lemuria by lynn carter creator of thangor and i think Mm -hmm. this novel is adapted over six issues and this is pretty much in the middle i think it's the third third of the of the uh, adaptation issues Mm -hmm. We start in the jungles of Chush at the home of the wizard Shaharasha. <laughs> what a name. How else would you pronounce that? <laughs> this is what I've learned 25 years in the classroom, Billy. You just pronounce names quickly and with confidence. And move on. And yeah. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Looking in his scrying mirror, he shows Thangor, the destruction of the world. A doom that is far closer than you dream. It's a doom that includes Thongor dead. The wizard <laughs> walks through the history of the world, including how the city of Namidas fought the dragon kings for dominance of Lemuria. Thus began the thousand year war. And thus was created the star sword by the father god Gorm in response to pleadings from his people. This was originally wielded by 
Thungarth in its steel, the power of the 19 gods have been sealed for all eternity. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when Thungor died all those years ago, the star sword was broken. And that story was prelude to the wizard asking Thongor, or tasking him, I should say, with a quest to help me create another star sword. Turns out the original star stone still exists in the Scarlet Tower of Sargol. You know, reading, <laughs> reading these books, Billy, it really helps if you've recently read some Doctor Strange or seen mm-hmm. the movie. Because you really get into these. Aren't the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, but they're close. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what counts. <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, you know the the like you said mentioning the Star Stone. That was actually something that did come up in the Marvel premiere era of Doctor Strange with I think mm-hmm. Fox writing. Okay, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the Scarlet Tower of Sargol is guarded by what imps of necromancy? I know not. So first things first, they go into the Chuch jungles to find and then repair Thongor's sort of floating craft (laughs) yeah who knows what that actually is it almost looks like some kind of crazy ship (laughs) yep this was designed to conquer the world but we'll use it for a nobler cause two days later the wizard and his beautiful helper have repaired the craft and uh but she the helper is left behind as thongor and the wizard shaharaja head off for some you know boy time Mm -hmm. you know eventually coming to rest Above the Scarlet Tower of Sargol, remember, that's where the Star Stone is, our barbarian (laughs) slides down rope or cable, enters the tower to come face to face, more or less, with a slorg, an abomination (laughs) from the Lemurian Desert. Billy, take this seriously, please. (laughs) Wow. A slorg. What a great name. (laughs) Now, uh, can can you attempt to describe a slorg? Well, it basically looks like a serpent, but the head is, you know, like a woman's head and face with some, you know, long hair and likes to whip people in the face with her tail. <laughs> that is pretty much it. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up facing down about a, a dozen of them. He keeps slicing away his blade, mm-hmm. drinking deeply of their blood. Mm-hmm. He fights his way up the staircase to the topmost room and locates the star stone. And he secures it with the same cable that he slid down and the stone is sent back up to the floater. Slimy coils grasp and twist about his ankles. The slorgs, they hold me fast. He is dragged before the Sark of Sargol and (laughs) the Archdruid. I don't know how much John Carter you've read, but the Sark of Sargol, that is totally a John Carter. There's another one coming up too that are total John Carter. (laughs) That's great. <laughs> and then the arch druid who demand to know where he hid the stone, but he does not answer. No man can compel Thongor to speak when he would be silent. Of course, he had to <laughs> say that. So he was actually silent <laughs> while he was declaring his silence, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is sent to the pits to battle in the arena. And he teams up there with the now former guard, Karm Carvis a classic John Carter style name, who was mm-hmm. imprisoned after Thongor's attempt to escape. Carvis ensured that Thongor, that he wasn't the one responsible uh, for Thongor being here. Because you see the Sark 
wished to rid himself of Karm because Karm's a prince and he'd be in line to be the next Sark. So it was a way of he can eliminate two of his major threats here in the arena, sort of two birds, one stone. Karm uh, and Thongor fight together to save an unnamed woman who was to be the creature's sacrifice. And other than her being blonde here and a redhead on the cover, this is the scene from the cover. Mm -hmm. The yeah. creature in question is a Zemadar. <laughs> now that is cool. That sounds like scimitar. That one, mm -hmm. I think that one sounds pretty cool. A giant yeah. lizard with a steel-like hide. Together, the two slay the beast by targeting its soft eyes and thus save the woman because we know from all fantasy, the dragon, there's always a soft spot that you can mm -hmm. get the dragon. And this is, this is what's happening here. Thungor then turns his attention to the Sark, the, the, the leader, who is demanding that his guards slay Thongor. Unfortunately for him, Thongor just happens to be the best sword thrower of the Black Hawk tribe, a skill he demonstrates by throwing his sword, Sarkazan, across <laughs> the arena, right at the man, and the Sark breathes his last as Thongor turns to face an arena filled with vengeful enemies next to die on the altars of Yamath. <laughs> the end. Mm. That yep. was a blast. Oh, yeah, that was a it fun was a one. a blast but... reciting it. But it was a pretty, pretty fun time reading it, too. You know, I just, reading this again here now, while you were going over it, I just, I think I discovered a gaffe. Uh -oh. So throughout the entire issue and run that I have, Conan, Cull, they all call out to different deities. Yep. Throughout all of these uh, creatures on the loose, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Thongor here calls out to Gorm. Yep. Gorm this, Gorm that. Well, on the very last page here, on the one, two, three, third panel. Wait, wait, uh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I see a gaff. Crom. It uh -huh. won't be Thongor who dies this day. That's what we would call in the in in the courtroom evidence <laughs> of this being a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's good great catch, Billy. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That is amazing because let me just say, Gorm does actually seem slightly different than Crom. The mm -hmm. way that Gorm is presented, not to get all darkness to light on everybody, mm -hmm. but Gorm does kind of seem like a helpful god. He was involved mm -hmm. in the lives of his people. He created the star stone so they could make this powerful weapon to protect themselves, as opposed to Krom, who mm -hmm. seems a little bit distant to Conan. Let's just put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So at least, so at least the characterization of Gorm as a god being does actually seem slightly different than Krom. Yeah, and he created the first man and woman here. They're on page two mm -hmm. as well. You see mm -hmm. that as well. So there's some uh, parallels there. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely a bit different than Krom. <laughs> but yeah, there's you know Thongor. You know Lynn Carter obviously created a, like we said a kind of a. a a bit of a ripoff here, you know, no, no offense to Mr. Carter, but there are some, you know, little bit differences there. Like, you know, yeah. uh, Thongor, he's the son of a king. Now the king's dead, but, yep. you know, his father was a king, you know, so that's not like Conan or Cull. 
So that's a little bit different too, but I like how they do incorporate, you know, some of the things from Marvel mythos. And of course, you know, the Howard and even some Lovecraftian stuff in there too, like these lizard people, you know, Howard wrote about those people too, you know, lizard people a lot. So yeah, I do like how there's little, just a little slight differences just to give you a little bit something different here. And those, those lady faced snakes. That's, that's, that's pretty creepy. Slorg. <laughs> yeah. Slorgs, wow. Slorgs, which what a admit, is a pretty, is a pretty hot sounding name. So, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. The, uh, but that is, but again, that's sort of classic in terms of the pulp time period, serpent gods and snake men. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a literalized big, ugly snake with a beautiful woman's face. It's a weird visual. Yeah. I mean, but again, he does share a lot of similarities. You know, he's a big, you know, muscle bound guy uh, running around with a sword and just, you know, has like a little bit more of a strength, like not super strength, I wouldn't say, but, you know, he's stronger than the average bear. So Mm -hmm. and then he also is uh, very susceptible to attractive ladies, uh, just like Conan. Uh, One of the issues, I think it might have been 24. uh, He uh, walked into a room where he was trying to steal a black mirror. And uh, there was this beautiful woman there, and she's like, oh, won't you help me? And it was really like some kind of crazy demon. <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. I could have told you that. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, just go do your job. Don't worry about any of the scenery, pal. <laughs> Did want to mention just a little bit about uh, Lynn Carter, the uh, mm-hmm. original author of these, of these novels. He was born in 1930 and passed away at the This Strikes Too Close to Home age of 57. Wow. His novels featuring Thongor were published in the mid-60s. He was a prolific writer through the late 1970s. And teaming with L. Sprague de Camp, Carter mm-hmm. co-wrote 10 Conan novels. Mm-hmm. So in addition to writing a Conan, let's say homage, <laughs> he also wrote some from the original character as well. So there you go. That counts for something, I think. Yeah, Carter and DeCamp, they were humongous fans of Howard's. Yep. And yeah, they there were a lot of unfinished stories. And it's uh, some of the Howard purists get uh, a little cranky about this, that they took some of his unfinished stories and finished right. them. Yep. And people are like, oh, you should have left it alone. And I, I don't care. To me, they those two guys were able to bring uh, Howard into a bit of the limelight there yeah. where maybe he would not have been after he passed away, you know, unfortunately. So yeah. I'm, I'm okay with them doing that. That, that to me is that, that's okay. Obviously at that point you are doing authorized works, you know, authorized yeah. by the estate, which helps a little bit, I think in, in, in terms of that. And that to some extent, you know, doing that in the sixties and seventies is sort of a forerunner to where we are today. There are a lot of novelists named famous novelists a who are have been really productive since they've passed away Mm -hmm. and or are productive while they are alive to an impossible extent of you know four novels a year or something like that because they're a brand and they have a stable of ghostwriters or co-writers you know and, and if 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 you flip sometimes the name is on the cover Sometimes the name's on the inside page. Sometimes the name is buried deep in the acknowledgements. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's no name at all. It depends on how much that person's gotten paid. Yeah. Basically, the more prominent the secondary writer's name is, the less they've gotten paid. <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah. That's usually part of the trade-off. 
Right? Yeah. We'll, we'll pay you more if uh, your name is nowhere mentioned uh, on this <laughs> uh, quote unquote Tom Clancy novel, or this <laughs> Robert Ludlum novel, or you know, whatever it is. And, and, yeah. and, and we have, you know, official cases, you know, like, uh, like these or like Brandon Sanderson, you know, being tasked to finish the Robert Jordan novels, you know, yep. so you have, you know, varying degrees of sort of a formal, you know, literary executor is sometimes mm-hmm. the term um, that's yeah. used there. Again, on a recent episode of the quarterback, two episodes back, we talked about Ms. Tree. Mm, written by max allen collins and that's that's a function that he serves for the mickey mickey spillane estate oh gotcha you know formally writing you know writing novels in spillane's world and using his characters you know my camera with the full authority my camera etc yeah cool So, so like we said licensing it's all it's a weird world with weird legalities and yeah uh, let me ask you this. I don't want to put any pressure on you, mm-hmm. but is there anything in this story that you would consider a moment of bronze age brilliance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, uh, this one is pretty even all the way throughout. Yeah. I don't feel it ever got real high or it ever yeah. got really low, but I did enjoy the very last page where he hurls the sword and it's awesome. You know, I just happen for, to be the oh yeah, the tribal champion of sword throwing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of like Conan, where he, if he needs a skill, he's, he's got it. You know, what I mean, it's like, oh, you, you never saw him do this before, but guess what? Now he's great. <laughs> and of course, I, that 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 last page had your mighty Marvel misstep mm-hmm. of, of calling mm-hmm. out calling out to Crom. Wrong God, there, buddy boy. <laughs> I did. I did think this man. I don't know about you, but I thought. I mean, I know it was 1973, so the code was loosening yep. up a bit. But man, I thought there were some pretty, you know, violent spots in this. Like when he shoves that sword on page 22 into that uh, creature's eye, like that is really nasty. Yeah. Like yeah. wow, uh, that is really nasty, really graphic. I was like, whoa, and you know, when he throws a sword into that guy there too, it's. I mean, you see that sword chuck right into the guy's chest. Yep, and. In the, the case of the human, we don't see any blood. Mm-hmm. He's already wearing a red, a red, you know, gown. So that, mm-hmm. that might be might be part of it. There's some green goo coming out of that eyeball Ooh, that he stabs. So that is we do have, but again, green blood is not really blood. So that and a monster inspection. That's and right. it's a monster too. It's a monster too. And you figure that guy that gets thrown when he throws a sword at that guy, they almost look like vampiric those uh, yeah. guys as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. they're not technically human either. So that's how it passed muster. <laughs> yep. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. He, they do have a little uh, Nosferatu going mm-hmm. on. I want to ask him why the long face, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that was pretty wild and then, oh, even when he was cutting off the heads of those slorgs as well that was pretty nasty too yeah. yeah he's swinging away and heads are flying that's nasty looking that page page 14 i guess it was he shoves his sword right through one of their necks chops off two or three heads with one blow mm-hmm. yeah wow yeah that was pretty wild too but again they're not humans so you yep. can get away yeah. with some of these shenanigans i guess beautiful mm-hmm. and any other comments on this story well, just that I really enjoyed the artwork. Um, ah, okay, the, good. Thank some you. some of the yeah some of the previous issues were uh, Val Merrick, but they were uh, Vinny C has the uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, Inker and th- these are much better. This with Wayne okay. Howard here, mm-hmm. and I did enjoy Fox a little bit better than uh, Effinger is his last mm-hmm. name. Right. He was. Yeah, I think he was a before. novelist. Yeah. I think he was a novelist mostly, but yeah, I, not that it was bad or anything, but I think Fox serves a little bit better for this kind of a story. He just knows the form of telling the story in a comic book. Yeah, and Fox was a huge, you know, Lovecraft fan, and he loved yep. Howard too. So he was a big student of that. I was going to mention that just in, in reading about Lynn Carter. He oh, did he some, was huge. Yeah, he did yeah. some uh, Lovecraft pastiches. I think yep. some, I think Lowcraft or something like that was the name of a, a series yeah. that he did or something like that. I mean, really, <laughs> really clear. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is homage. Mm-hmm. You figure growing up when he did, when he was oh, born yeah. and then a, a small kid, you know, that was right in that weird 30s tales. And 40s, yeah. Yep. When that was at the height. So that's, uh, he was right in the thick of it there. <laughs> yeah. I read this about Lynn, Lynn Carter also to add one more connection to pod mm-hmm. to, to the podcast and the comic books. He was a major writer on the second season of the Spider-Man animated show of the late 1960s. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. That, that, that may be where, where he connected with Marvel. You know, with the Marvel crew, where he you know, came to the came to the attention of of the Marvel crew when they wanted to, you know, do some licensing. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I heard an interview where Roy Thomas said that he actually tried for Thongor first, and they were like, "This is how much money we want," and he was like, "Get out of here!" And he approached the uh, Howard estate, and that's how we got Conan before right. Thongor, it's which is yeah. blo- blows my mind. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> And no. then, and then the Lynn Carter says, oh, "On second thought, let me uh, let's come back to you." <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> amazing. I'd rather make I'd rather make some money than no money, please. <laughs> always, always. Now, in the interest of fully covering this issue, mm-hmm. we have to talk about the brief as in four-page backup story, reprinted from <laughs> Astonishing Fifty Nine. And believe me, I was astonished as I read this. Truth and advertising. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, originally cover dated March 1957. So this is The Eyes of Malator, edited by Stan, scripted by unknown, either they didn't want to claim it, (laughs) or more likely the record keeping in 1957 was not quite up to standards. Mm -hmm. And this was drawn by comics veteran Bernard Bailey. Mm -hmm. This one starts in a mansion where a wealthy man sits alone, helpless with age. Once he had been young and poor, a searcher for diamonds in deepest Africa. There he receives the idol, Malator, as a gift from a band of locals that he aided. At first, he didn't think much of the strange statue, just tossed it away. But when it struck the ground, what's that? Diamonds, at last I'm rich, and the statue of Malator showed me where it was. <laughs> so as wow. time passed, he kept the statue. The statue was always with him, watching over him, even on this particular evening late in his life when a robber bursts in, asking for his valuables. Take anything you want, but please don't take the statue of Malator. Take anything but that. The robber steals Malator concluding that this is the most valuable thing that the gentleman Mm -hmm. has. He buries it under a tree, intending to retrieve it later when the heat's off. And then he'll find out just how valuable it is. Except that when really just a few hours later, the police are looking elsewhere in another part of the mansion. (laughs) 
he does come back to the spot under a large tree and the tree comes to life <laughs> and attacks him and takes the shape of the idol while doing so. Uh -huh. But the old man shows mercy, ordering Malator to release the thief in the police custody, which is okay with the robber because he wants to get away from the idol, calling it poison. To you it is, and to all others who try to harm the owner of Malator. <laughs> so I guess the old man and his idol lived happily ever after the end. Wow. As he's getting a finger wag there too at the uh, <laughs> at the at the well dressed robber, by the way, not like robbers in this day and age who are uh, ski ski masks. This guy's in like you know a suit jacket and white shirt buttoned down. <laughs> wow. Now, Billy, mm. I, I just had one quick question about this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. What did I just read? Because mm. yeah. this makes no sense. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I like I like the part with the idol. Okay, like that, that, that part of like, okay. And then the old man's sitting at home and the, the thief comes in and the thief leaves. And then literally, what, within 10 seconds, somehow the <laughs> cops are there already? Like, what? It's, this is like the 50s. There's no, no way. The cars didn't even go that fast back then. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are, are you saying we had not quite invented 911 yet? Um, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> well, well, Billy, the idle slowed down time. Mm -hmm. obviously uh no um i mean the idol protects him all his life that's it there is no twist unless you want to say that the twist is that there's no twist mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean what was the story <laughs> what 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 is like what's the plot idea here he has an idol it protects him the end but where's the where's the thing where's the narrative oh. thrust what, what, what there's a lesson to be learned here don't steal from old people you know it's just you know every year learned. that goes by billy i think that is a more valuable lesson mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up mm -hmm. um <laughs> i mean i did not know what to make of this the only thing i can figure four pages that's a short story yeah so i figured when they're looking for a fill-in they must have, you know, the letter page must have been longer than they expected or Stan's soapbox or they sold <laughs> another ad or two. Yeah. Because why? my theory is there were so few four-page stories that, that you're starting with a, with a small universe of stories yeah. to, to choose from. Mm -hmm. But why this one? I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Stan just had a list of stories in like in, from previous years and it was right. just this one's this many pages this we haven't used so yet we haven't used this one yet so it's four slide pages it, slide it right in there but i do like a, once you flip that last page there's a really nice house ad for uh king call i think yep. that might be an image pulled from uh, one of the covers actually and uh, i'm not sure if this it is it good. or not but there's a there's a cover that's around that time where it's plug he did a few covers of call mm, around that era okay. But yeah, great house ad there. The Conqueror is dead. Long live the Destroyer because it changed from Call the Conqueror to Call the Destroyer for some bizarre mm -hmm, reason after mm -hmm, issue 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not sure what that was all about, but okay. I also liked a few pages before that, still in, in, in the middle of this last story. The mm -hmm. Genuine Spider-Man Medallion Coin. Full page ad. I have never seen one of those. Never. Yeah. 
Never seen one at a show online. Never have I seen one of those. And how much were they? A dollar seventy-five. Wow. Yeah, buck, two bucks, something like that. So today, a coin. Tomorrow, Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) And then, uh, you know, I think I sent it to you. Or did I just tweet it out and tag you in it? Something like that. You know, my favorite comic book out of all time is in this book. And it's uh, Don't Be Half a Man, Charles <laughs> Atlas. Mm, the insult that made a man out of Mac. My number one favorite comic book out of all time. A classic. Mm. I mean, this one also has muscle building information on the last page. So mm-hmm. yeah, two two separate bodybuilding ads, which I guess... If mm-hmm. you're, you know, inside a you know, barbarian magazine, this, it's not crazy placement for those ads. No, not at all. But at least this uh, weight gaining and be muscular and admired ad, the guy is wearing a pair of trunks. And I thank them for that because there are some <laughs> ads where the guy is literally wearing like a banana hammock. And I'm like, dude, put some clothes on. We don't need to see that. I'm like, what were they thinking? Mm. The 70s were wild, Bill. That's all I can say. All I can uh, say. Yeah, great comics, though. Gotta, gotta give them their credit where credit's due. My favorite era of comics, the Bronze Age, my friend. Beautiful. Well, you can decide how much you want to factor that backup into your decision-making. It's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. But it all comes down to this. You know this question is coming. Mm-hmm. The verdict on Creatures on the Loose 26. We'll start with you, Billy. Was this comic worth... The enormous 25% price gouge <laughs> I had to pay on this just to get it for a quarter. It was worth that quarter and more. Absolutely. Agreed. Mm-hmm. That can be tricky when you're serializing part of a story. This, I think, is part three of six, which, as any yeah. Doctor Who fan will know, that's the episode where nothing happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we had stuff happening. We had a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. We had heads flying off of all sorts of beasts <laughs> and a few humans. Mm. <laughs> yeah, swords flying and eyes being gouged out. That's way worth more than a quarter. But this story, this uh, you know chapter or section of the novel had a beginning, middle, and end. It had the quest to get the to get the stone. So mm-hmm. it you know it it had you know within it it was it it had a contained story, which is a nice bit of to give Gardner Fox his due. Good skilled comic book scripting to take a middle segment and make it a complete story yeah make it contained yeah i've read 22 and 23 and 24 uh just to like see what was going on and you know kind of get a little more background on our buddy thongor here and 22 and 23 were a two-part story and then 24 started something new and then like i said i don't have 25 yet but they're fun they're fun comics but I do find myself with, even with Conan and Cole, like I said, which I love those two characters. If I try to read too many issues in a row, because I have the first three uh, epic collections of Conan, if I try to sit there and read the entire trade at once, it, it, it is a little repetitive, you know, kind of like Westerns, you know, some right. of the very heavy genre books. If you would read four, five, six, seven, eight issues in a row, you would start to get a little like, Okay, I need a palate cleanse. I need something else. You know, I mean that. You know, classically, that's one of the things that makes a literary genre yeah. certain expectations of readers and fulfilling those exact expectations. I know, in in some cases, like Harlequin romances, mm-hmm. you know, the the writing guides are 
specific to the page. You know, by this page, the hero has to be introduced. By this page, the or on this page, you know, the conflict has to arise. And on this page, yeah. they have to have a, a, a the resolution. So these genres, because it's based on reader expectations, there are some expectations you have to meet. And so there mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, the, the downside of that is yeah. going to be a, a, a repetitive nature to them. You know, a, yep. lot of, a lot of these genres can fall into that. And again, for a comic in the 1970s that was monthly or even bi-monthly, that's fantastic. You're exactly. a kid, you're, you're eating this up. You know, they, these things were not meant to be traded and smushed tons of right. issues back to back to back to back to back. So yeah, if, for, what if, it, for what it was, it's great. Yeah, if, if you're reading them in the epic collection, you're reading eight in an afternoon. If you're reading them as a kid, you're reading them, like you said, maybe two months apart with 25 comics in between. They, they were perfect for that. They were perfect yeah. for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good story, good art, a solid quarter bin deal. Completely, mm-hmm. completely agree. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Always you good, bet. always good to speak with you. Absolutely, my friend. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to harassing you uh, down the road <laughs> to uh, come chat with me about whatever. <laughs> now, tell us, uh, tell our lovely listeners where I might be appearing at some point. I don't know. What, what are some of these podcast things that uh, of which you speak? My main show is called Magazines and Monsters, where I talk about all sorts of different comics and then it's every other week, and then the episodes in between, I talk about uh, old-school horror and sci-fi films. So that's always fun, too. And I try, I'm trying to really spread my wings out with uh, guests and get some returners, get some new guests. It's always fun talking with new people as well. And then by the time people hear this, they will be probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, hearing two more shows. One that's going to be called The Brave and the Bob because it will be centered around the brave and the bold and Mr. Bob Heaney. Uh, the thing about podcasting that I've learned is that once you get the perfect name for mm-hmm. the show, you sort of have to do it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how Dorkness Delight started. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. we've come up with this name. We've got to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, come on, the brave and the Bob. Once you have the name, the episodes just record themselves, Billy. As you know, the hard oh, yeah. work is done. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah and that uh as of this recording with you i already have uh two or three episodes in the can and oh boy do i have some fun guests on there and brand new guests that i had never talked to before as well very fun nice. guests people you know so it will be very fun and then the second show is uh, uh horror comics in the bronze age and that is going to be dc marvel charlton uh, even dipping back, you know, slightly into the late Silver Age, there may be with some other things, but it's going to be very, very horror heavy. And, uh, you know, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Monster of Frankenstein, right out of the gate. I'm hitting the heavy hitters with Marvel and then uh, switching over to do some DC anthology. And, oh, it's going to be fun. So, yeah, I'm going to just kind of use Magazines of Monsters, the main feed, just to talk more superhero stuff. And then right. Zany Haney and uh, horror comics on the that other show. Awesome. Ooh, that is awesome. Love it. I love it. Again, good to talk to you. Thank you again, sir, for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up our coverage of Creature on the Loose 26, bringing episode 184 to a close. Next time, we'll observe July as hashtag Western Comics Month. We're looking at All-Star Western 23 from the new 52 era. From DC Comics, cover dated October 2013. And like this episode, 
again, if things go well, I won't be alone. But not to get anyone's hopes up too much, that guest kind of pale in comparison to Billy. So that's not a big deal at all. <laughs> well, thank you for saying so. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments about this issue, the episode, Barbarian and Adventure Comics in general, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarterly. relatively geeky family podcasts show notes and links are available at relatively geeky podcast.blogspot.com where the podcasts uncovering the bronze age and short box showcase also make their home links to facebook and twitter are there as well feedback for the show is welcome at relatively geeky at gmail.com and if you like what we've got going here please leave a review and a rating in itunes it'll help more people discover the show Thanks again for listening.